All right, we are back with another episode of the Work Week After Hours, and today's a special day. Uh, not only do I have my friend Steve Cadigan, but we also have uh, a guest. Uh, Steve, you want to introduce him? Yeah, we're really excited uh, here today to have Steve Pemberton joining us. Uh, Steve, uh, we're going to ask you to introduce yourself in a second, but you and I were together a few weeks ago uh, in uh, New York, New York, the city so nice they named it twice, recording an episode for um, you know, Work Human Live, which is super excited. We can get into that today, but uh, thank you for joining us, uh, and, and why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, pleasure to be with you. I can tell we all got the S memo because you got Steve, Steve, and Shane, so <laughs> this is the S crowd. I don't know what value that derives for anybody, but might as well point it out. Although, Shane, I should point out that Steve and I are named after saints. Uh, so, well, so, 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 so before you get into the introduction, now since you brought it up, um, I don't know if either <laughs> of you ever have ever seen the, uh, the old Western movie, Shane. Uh, yep. The gentleman named mm-hmm. Alan Ladd was it. So that's what I'm named after. At the end, you know, he saves the family and yes. rides off riddled with bullets and little boy comes running out and says, Shane, don't go. Mom loves you. And that kind of thing. So that's. That's who I'm named. While he's not a saint, he was a heck of a guy. So, Well, you know, in that case, our names are all common because the saint for whom Steve and I were named after was stoned to death, which is well, <laughs> Shane, you know, you can see the parallel here. Anyway, absolutely. we're going to depress people if we keep going down this path. So, uh, so hey, everybody, I'm, I'm Steve Pemberton. I'm the CHRO of uh, Work Human, and uh, we are in the world of uh, recognition. Uh, in uh, performance management and life celebration. So we power the platforms of companies who are looking to create peer-based recognition, uh, fundamental shifts in the way that we are both, I think, defining culture because it's certainly something that's much more quantitative, but how we're managing conversations. So we think about this in the lens of thank, talk, and celebrate the things that should be happening in our workspaces and workplaces you know, every single day, thanking people, talking with one another as, as we are, and then celebrating both one's professional life and their personal life. Awesome. That's great. Uh, That's great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve, you know, tell us what is that like? Um, you know, you, did you start there before the pandemic? I did. Been there oh, a yes. while? I started yeah. at the end of 17. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I'll tell you that the, the difference, the biggest difference, I was in senior HR roles at Walgreens and Monster.com prior uh, to arriving at, at Work Human. And the biggest difference, I, this was the case at Monster and Monster's heyday. The bar is higher for any company when you are delivering value to HR, because that's what we do. That is who we, in essence, sell into. So your internal processes, mechanisms, culture, the bar is just higher because you're not building cabinets with all due respect to cabinet makers, right? You, mm-hmm. you literally have to be what you're selling. So a lot of my conversations with CHROs are, are about how recognition is so tied to virtually every aspect and dimension of the HR ecosystem. And there's no better example of that than how I and my team are leveraging recognition to enhance our people practices. And I enjoy those conversations a great deal because they are peer-based and it does allow us to be anticipatory. It also always keeps the bar higher. So I'll give you a quick example. I was on uh, a call yesterday with our customer uh, success team and they were sharing with me and my team practices from our customers about how they were delivering moments that mattered and wanted us to think about how we might incorporate some of those elements into our people practices and strategies. And, and that just gets me excited because every day is different. There's not been any two days exactly the same at Work Human. And then lastly, on that front, I would say that this is all accelerated because of the pandemic. I think it's been HR's finest hour. It's probably its most challenging hour. Mm-hmm. Because of everything that we have been forced to do and do so very, very quickly, independent of any training, because in the great book that is HR, 
there is no chapter on managing a global pandemic, right? That chapter's not in there. It will be in the future world, but it wasn't in any that we grew up with. <laughs> That's true. Have, have you? I know you have a really incredible insights team there that looks at a lot of the the incoming data that you receive, and it must be just an unbelievable. I'm, I, you know, working at LinkedIn, it was just a treasure of insights, uh, dispelling notions that, oh, you need to be a business major to be a CEO. We're like, no, there's millions of people who are CEOs never majored in business or econ or things like that. But was there any interesting stuff that you can share with us around recognition pre-pandemic and recognition post-pandemic, for example? Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, think about a 20-plus-year-old company operating in a multiplicity of languages, four million, five million recognition moments happening across a platform. It, it gives you real-time insights into how people are thinking and, and evolving. Mm. And yes, there is a, a world that is pre-pandemic. There's a world that's now as we're emerging out of it. And then I think there's going to be a third wave of things that are just going to be with us. 10, 15 years from now, they're going to be able to tie back to the pandemic. So, you know, what are those things? Well, community, the workplace as a community, you know, specifically a place of connection when we were denied that. At the same time, we have seen, regrettably so, massive polarization. And that's true whether you're talking about matters of equity and inclusion or politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, everywhere you turn, there's these collisions. And I think we've become exhausted by that just as a species, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, where do you find it? And, and clearly from the recognition moments that we see, people are finding it in the workplace. Uh, and in our world, in HR, generally speaking, like we're the ones who have those kinds of insights. We know when you buy a home. We know when you get married. We know when you have a baby. Uh, we know when you've adopted a child. We know uh, when you've had a loss in your family. We are the ones as a function who have the insights into all of these life events, if you think about it like that. Mm -hmm. But now this ability to kind of celebrate those life events. So as an example, what does data tell what does data tell me in my role about work human? I know that in the last two and a half years, over 100 children have been born into the company. Uh, a child or a second child. So that tells you that you have a workforce that is made up predominantly of young parents. Their reaction pressures to the pandemic is different because they were taking care of young children. So, you know, they're on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. And they're in the middle of a meeting with Shane and, uh, you know, baby yanking on, on mom and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, pets walking across the screen. And, you know, just what we... I was at one point, my children are older now. And I think that those windows were are invaluable. One to say that you appreciate and expect people to share those literally, quite literally the windows into their world. Uh, and I just think it enhances that community. It enhances connection when you see that those things are celebrated and not dialed down. Well, that's not really for the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that I think that's especially the place that is going to those communities and connections are going to happen now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it's I'm, I'm curious, uh, Steve, at, at work human, did you guys, did you guys notice a trend of more appreciation happening? throughout the pandemic and as it went through was that was that a trend of yeah because we didn't saw? have the chance to give face to face as much right for some people now we're in different mediums of uh experience with our coworkers. yeah that, i was curious about that too shane yeah so i think there were three operating factors macro broader society world and then micro that's specific to work human and what what we saw so mm -hmm. what were the macro factors well global pandemic and you're watching, you know, these extraordinary stories of resilience and courage, especially from healthcare workers, those on the front line, stocking grocery shelves, delivering mail, checking you in. And, and just to see that kind of resilience and that kind of sacrifice in a lot of cases, 
I think created this desire to just recognize that specifically and just more generally. And whether you had people applauding on balconies in Italy early on as healthcare workers were the only ones who didn't have the shelter in order place. It just to me was this broader desire of humanity to kind of turn away from this me first culture and language into a we and a us you know, and, and an acknowledgement. And so that that certainly became very clear early on that there was, well, I can drop Steve a note and say, Steve, I, I came to you last minute on this marketing project that I needed to get done. You stopped what you were doing. You turned that around. Thank you. And what that might mean to you is heightened when I'm only able to do that virtually because we're not in person. Mm -hmm. So I would say the desire to have an answer to societal dissonance and to a global pandemic. How can I heal? How can I help? I can recognize, you know, somebody that's something that I can do. That is in my, that's in my power to do. And I think the cascading effect of that, because if I'm recognizing you, Steve, then Steve's going to say, you know, you know, come to think of it, I couldn't have delivered that to Steve without Shane's help. And so I'm going to recognize Shane. And now, over time, you can see that it creates a very different kind of culture, culture of affirmation, connection. Um, mm -hmm. And then I would also point out that third element, which is just never knew what it really meant to people to get a note like that uh, at a time when they could have been dealing with their own positive COVID tests or an mm -hmm. ill parent, which was happening at Work Human, uh, where I was, it was very difficult conversations with our humans who and, uh, who lost family members and uh, yeah. arresting, right? Can I can I can I help that? No, profound, great, difficult loss, but this sense of of affirmation, of recognition, you never know it helps somebody get through a day, and that's before we get into everything else that recognition drives. I, I think that HR. The beginning and the end of it is recognition. Whether you're talking about recruiting, retention, mobility, isn't it all really, in a way, uh, equity? Isn't it really all first and foremost about recognition, recognizing top talent? How are they moving? How are they compensated? How are we inclusive? Isn't it about recognizing actually this? And it's much more affirming, I would say, much more powerful because we all have that collective power. You don't need to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you don't need additional certification to be somebody who recognizes uh, success and support uh, that we get. Yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying. I wrote a a blog. It must have been seven, eight years ago, uh, and I titled it Two Words That Matter." And I said uh, in the blog, "Listen, I've been brokering employee manager disputes my whole career." And the storyline for these disputes goes something like this, blah, 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 blah. And they don't even say good morning to me. And two words about it, I'm like, that's affirmation. That's recognition. That's appreciation. Good morning. And I think it's probably more acute in some of the technology companies I've worked with where the investment in leadership um, maturity is low. <laughs> and I'm and I'm being gracious and saying it's low because a lot of these technology companies are I'm looking to build my value prop, I'm looking to have an exit in 8 to 10 years and then I'm out. So why would I, you know, I don't think they're intellectually saying I'm not going to invest in leadership, but I'm more interested in digging my moat, defending my value prop mm. and then harvesting it. And I think we've got a real deficit of leadership acumen that's sort of a self-inflicted wound, unintentional, right? But that's that shiny yeah. object. People are going for that brass ring. Judy Estrin, who's a really interesting woman, she was a CEO of a company we acquired when I was at Cisco. She wrote a whole book on the leadership deficit in Silicon Valley and why the system of you know, growing and exiting is really hurting leadership muscle. And 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 I've you know had spent my built a career sort of having to address that that shortfall and the consequences of that and um and so it's really it's a really revealing reality right now that so many organizations with the pandemic found themselves deer in the headlights because of their ill-equipped 
capacity to have these really meaningful conversations. I mean, Shane and I, we talked about this a few episodes ago that I think one of the greatest strengths that we can build to address talking about diversity, talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about masking, talking about vaccine is just the capability of having a hard conversation. And this world that we're, you know, growing our kids in of tweets and Snapchats and 140 characters, like quick expressions. I mean, to me, it was brought home when um, I called my kids uh, a few years ago. I called I call one of them and they text me, what do you want? I go, I want you to pick up the phone so we can have a conversation. <laughs> and then I caught myself doing it when my mom called me and I texted her back, what? What's up? Everything okay? I'm busy. And she's like, can you pick up the phone? <laughs> and so yeah. there's a, a lot of things out of our control. Uh, that's why I'm so intrigued by you know, the data set and the insights that you're, you're revealing there because society is drawn to not converse, to focus on task maybe as much as, yeah. you know, before. Yeah. Maybe I'm sounding like an old guy saying this, but I'm just curious what your, what your reaction is to some of that. Well, a, a couple of reactions. One is that there was a time, certainly in my own career, as my own career progressed, and I honestly thought, you know, this – conversation about leadership is it's kind of overvalued because we all know what it is you know and so why are there all these books out there on leadership why is it even necessary everybody knows what it is how wrong that was and, mm -hmm. and in fact i would say that the more that leadership comes to you or is heaped upon you the more humble you have to be the less you understand the more of a student you have to be I think the language a lot of times around leadership is the inverse of that. I'm sitting at the top of the org chart, so I must know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and when you see the inability to innovate among tech companies, the ability to not see the next mover coming or to get dis disrupted or disintermediated, you can usually tie it to a lack of leadership, generally speaking. And mm -hmm. it, it becomes something that I, I feel you have to be very focused and uh, cognizant of as, as a leader. I, I know that my own personal journey necessitated a degree of relentlessness. I, I got it because I had nobody else was coming to help me. And so I had to go it alone often. But that same mindset as you was in, in any part of your life, personal or professional, becomes very problematic when you think you not only have the answers, but you have all the questions too. And that you don't see any wisdom in the collective because you think you alone know more than everybody else because the orchard says so or your life experience says so. I think the inverse of that is what the really successful leaders do. They know uh, that they don't have all the answers. So they hire teams in areas who have a greater depth in an area than, than they do, and they're secure enough to do that. Even in my own interactions in my, with my own teams, I have learned actively to say, okay, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to solicit pushback. I'm trying to solicit, an, I, I think leaders have to create an environment for people to disagree with them, of course, courteous, respectful, all of them, professional, all that. Um, and, you know, so we have at Work Human didn't go according to plan. I was on a call first thing this morning with uh, the leadership team on a very specific issue. And what were we talking about? We were talking about something that didn't go according to plan. And the word that kept coming up, uh, not, you know, just from, from Eric uh, Mosley, who's our, our CEO, but others too, transparent, transparent. Mm -hmm. That leaders have to take on a language of transparency. And the way that I think about it is, you know, I would much rather have somebody in my house telling me that you clearly got dressed in the dark because you have stripes and plaid on and that doesn't go together. <laughs> I would much rather have my wife and daughter who would tell me that if that were the case, by the way. I would much rather them tell me that than I, I step out into the marketplace and they tell me. That's less forgiving. Um, and mm -hmm. in your own home, your own company, for example, creating leaders have responsibility to create cultures of transparency and active 
you know, feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think it drives innovation. It, it drives loyalty. It drives the sense of doing one's best work because I don't necessarily have to always tow a specific direction. And I can, that, that's a leader's uh, primary responsibility. Now, what does recognition teach us about that? And I, and I will tell you that I, some years ago, I just got to a point in my own career where I realized that the ultimate definition of how successful I am as a leader is singular. And it is how many people around me and any stop in my career have grown beyond the role that they were in when they were with me. That tells you quite literally everything. Who am I recognizing? Who have I been actively developing? Uh, I think about my time at Walgreens and Kathleen Wilson Thompson, uh, who hired me into that role. Eight people who were on her team are all now CHROs. Eight people. That tells you a lot about her leadership, right? Her style. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. a really profound example to me about how leaders show up, how they recognize people, how they help develop them. And they'll return that value back to you. I yeah. mean, they, 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 they will. Yeah, I love I, that I, definition. I, Shane, tell them the, the conversation we had yesterday. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so 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 it's wild how this aligns. So it's going to be our first sports reference in the uh, <laughs> uh, in in the show. But um, you know, the trans couple couple pieces. One, the transparency piece is, is massive, and you know, Steve and I have the joy to kind of get to peek behind the curtain of the biggest companies in the world, national governments, all, all kinds of really really cool stuff, and. That is a theme that is becoming a thing. And, you know, Steve and I talk a little bit about, you know, how how does that transparency start even before we even onboard you or even offer you a job, right? And that kind of ties into the next piece I want to talk about where why, why don't companies celebrate the, we'll call it a coaching tree of the success, right? So we see on the news that Amazon is paying level seven developers, $800,000 a year. Well, there's a company somewhere who's had four or five people leave them and go there. That should be a marketing tool. That should be a celebration of, look, these folks came here, these young ladies came here and we were able to upskill them and we're thrilled. They, they outgrew to the point where we couldn't afford them anymore. And we're looking for mm-hmm. four more rock stars to fill that place. And why don't mm-hmm. we have like, as a as a as an organization having that celebration of that coaching tree of yeah when you walk in here yeah all these people well you'll you won't see any of these people here because they've all moved on but this one here is now the chro of nike and this one is the ceo of hewlett packard like why don't we do that and it's instead of the other of the old school way of we're going to hoard the talent and i'm going to be real secretive and i'm not going to let anybody know that i've got all these rock stars here yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I talk about that. In, uh, yeah. I talk about that a little bit in my book, where similar to the example you gave, Steve, where uh, I work for Gabrielle Toledano Electronic Arts. And I don't know whether it was the candy store of a video game company that attracted people like me to sort of Hollywood ish creatives, but the people who left there became head of HR Living Social, head of HR Zynga, head of HR CBS Interactive, head of HR Adobe Labs, head of HR at LinkedIn, uh, head of HR at uh, a few other companies. And it was like, that is an, uh, what, what is that woman doing over there? Either she's hiring really well, she's developing people really well. And the experience of working in that company prepares people for a lot of different experiences. And so much so that when I was sitting at LinkedIn, I told a product team like, hey, if we ask every member on LinkedIn to not just say where you worked, but who you worked for, Imagine the data that that could possibly reveal. Now, it would be a recruiter's dream come true to sort of have like the, the, the sort of the org chart, if you will, but it's not hard to get to back into that. But if you could see everyone that worked for Steve Pemberton, what happened plus five years of working for Steve? Mm. Now you get something incredibly powerful um, to really show something that we've never really shown a light on before. You know, and why we why we don't do that more? And I think some search firms, executive search firms, back into that 
for some of the senior executives that they're looking at, like the pedigree. And GE was notoriously famous for, whoa, look at the CEO yeah. tree of, yeah. of their former executive departures, you know? I, you know, I think it's a holdover from just generally how we viewed employees' relationship with employers, you know, the 20, 25 years and the gold watch kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's there's a few challenges with that one. That's certainly not how the millennials are thinking. It's not how the Gen Zers are, are thinking. It's not how they're thinking at all. And mm-hmm. fighting that is like trying to fight City Hall, rock and roll, and hip hop. Good luck. Right. I mean, it's here and it's going to be here for a long time. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think that understanding that when you develop a culture of people growing, evolving, that they, they become brand ambassadors for you. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. always talk fondly about my time at Walgreens uh, with Kathleen and fondly about my time at Monster with Brad Raker, who brought me to Monster. You know, you just remember the people who kind of poured into you and you then develop, you know, accordingly. It's, it's, it's a complete, you know, paradigm shift in how we're measuring and valuing leadership and what is the role and responsibility, you know, of a leader. The great resignation or the great talent swap, however you want to describe it, I think there are different things mm-hmm. happening. I think it is a great resignation in the service sector. I think it's a great talent swap in other places, though. So the battle for talent uh, has only made that shift even more difficult now. Uh, So it puts a lot more onus on the company to make sure that your city, when someone in the candidate, we talk about it at our team, uh, on our team and at the company, uh, you know, product engineering technology, extraordinary battle in EMEA and in the United States. And if you're not sitting down in front of candidates with a job architecture for this is your role today, and this is how we see you growing and evolving throughout the company, you might as well put an expiration date on that offer letter uh, because maybe you'll have them for a year, maybe competitive market, somebody else is going to come along. And so now you're developing talent for someone else and there will come a time when it is time and great that they're going to evolve but they will speak fondly of their experience and how you help them create much as I think about my own professional career and the people, right. Uh, who do that. I think the other pause that leaders and executive teams in particular have about this is that they don't always understand that it is reciprocal determinism that yes, I am going to invest in your growth and your development, but they will return that back to you with innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with performance and with discretionary effort and with loyalty. So yes, will you, may you, may you not have them as long perhaps, but the time you do have them, they're going to give, be giving you their best because you're pouring into them. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with, with making that a staple of how the company, not just leaders within that company are actively operating. And the last thing I'd say, look, the workforce is looking for that anyway. I mean, employees are in the driver's seat now. They are. Mm-hmm. So just because you're not talking about it does not mean they're not thinking about it. Of course, they're thinking about it. And if they're not thinking about it, I can assure you their competition is because they're going through LinkedIn and they're looking at who's on your team. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, this is what's happening all the time. So yeah. I don't want to sit there getting calls going, oh, no, here comes another resignation. Here comes another resignation. Like, that's just exhausting. And I'd rather I'd rather have a lot more of uh, the ownership of, of our people practices rather than letting the market poach and and having other people develop my people and I lose them. Like that's not not that's not sustainable. Right, right. And, and I look at it this way: you might have heard of the Jack Welsh famous uh, quote, "If the outside world's changing faster than the company, the end is near." I almost feel like with talent strategies, you know, if your employees are changing faster, their psychological outlook on their relationship to work and careers is changing faster than your talent strategies. The end is near. And uh, I was I was at a um, a client the other day, and they're like, "Hey, help us, you know, keep our great culture." 
you know, it's really important to us. And I said, I can't help you with that. It's already changed. And like, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you a question. How many people that you know in your family and your friend network changed their some big life decisions in the last two years? Every hand goes up. I said, okay, do you think your employees are different? Or do you think your employees are excluded from that experience right. that we've all had? No. I said, okay, so everyone's seeing the world a little differently. You are, everyone in your world is. All the strategies we've used before don't necessarily, like not all of them need to be retooled, but we need to revisit. And I love what you said earlier around this notion of engagement because I feel like the question in the interview shouldn't be, hey, uh, candidate, let me tell you about our vision, mission, values. It should start with, hey, candidate, what's your vision? What's your mission? Where are you going? And how can I help get you there however long you're here? And I hope it's long, but maybe it needs to be short because we don't have something that you want to, a box you need to check, but I will help you get there better than anyone else you could work for. And to your point, I'm hoping you're going to be an agent of goodwill in my universe, right. referring deals, referring candidates to me. But that's not how, unfortunately, a lot of leaders are trained to think. And and I, for a while, it really frustrated me. I'm like, why are these leaders so self-serving? And then I'm like, because when they lose someone, that means maybe I can't make it for dinner with my family tonight. Maybe that means I'm going to have to put in more effort. And it's hard, right? It is hard. But nobody thinks that I'm talking to you today. Um, nobody thinks that talent's going to stay longer in a company in the future. So. Yeah. We, we need to start thinking about what does success look like in a more fluid world of work. Um, and I think some of the ideas that you put out there really start helping. Like We've built all these measurements of our success that are fundamentally making us feel unsatisfied with the results. Like If you're measuring an HR team's bonus on turnover that's based on data of five years old, it's just you know that's a self-inflicted wound that you're just setting up for yourself. We need to revisit different. Yeah, I mean, you're highlighting something there that's that's worthy of a double click, which is that it's a, it is a collaborative discussion. I can't have that conversation with you uh, or about you without you being part of the conversation and having it be open and transparent. And so now, okay, so Shane says I'm coming in as a senior director of marketing, and my aspiration is to be a VP of marketing within two to three years. You know why Shane's thinking about that? Because Shane and his wife were expecting another child. Of course, Shane's mm -hmm. thinking about that. So now, yeah. knowing this, then I have to, in essence, be working with, as an, as an HR team, I have to be working with Shane's direct report or the person who's, who Shane reports into. So you better have a plan for Shane, right? Because he, he's got a plan. He has to have a plan because... You know, Mrs. Howard's making sure he has a plan, right? <laughs> so it's already happening. So, okay, Shane, here's where you are. Here's what we're hiring you for. Here's what you're going to bring. And here is the, I wouldn't call it a gap, but here's the opportunity space that you have over these next two years to get to be a VP. It's almost like you're establishing this covenant uh, that in this, this collaborative discussion about one's career very, very early on because the individual is. So why are leaders, uh, especially of successful companies, why, why are they resistant? Yes, some of this is, that's how they came up, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But another part of it is that they believe, and understandably so, we're a first mover, we have 85% brand recognition, we're fine, we're fantastic. All of our surveys say that we have high degrees of engagement, loyalty, all of that. So they look at it objectively, whether presenting to the board or their CEO, and hey, you know, we're, we're fine. And at first glance, they appear to be fine. I would liken it to a, a house, strong house, that's sitting beautifully on a mountainside. And you're looking at it like, wow, that's, that's really strong. And they're adding levels to it. But if I tell you within a year, that house is going to collapse. What are you talking about? Look at it. And what they don't anticipate is that the land on which the house sits shifts. That's the marketplace. It shifts to Jack Welch's point. That's what he's saying. So you're, yes, you're right. You, you are operating from a position of strength. But what you're not anticipating is that the land on which your house sits shifts. And not only that, I think you have to spend some time anticipating it. You have to spend some time to use a sports analogy. I like the fight game. And 
the most successful trainers pretend to be in their opponent's corner. And they say, if I were fighting my fighter and I'm that guy's trainer, what would I say about him? What would I say about beating him? Oh, you know, when he throws his jab, he doesn't bring it back to the same angle and he drops his left hand, that leaves mm-hmm. him counting for the right hand, right? It's that kind of, you, you have to spend some time poking holes at yourself because the market, the land is shifting, your competition's doing that. When you see these failures, uh, or when, especially when you see disintermediation, disruption happen, it's over that issue. Because, well, here's another good example. Had you come to the, the three of us, let's say 15 years ago and said, uh, hey, you know, books, uh, you know, there, there's going to be fewer of them printed. And, and Shane says, well, what are you talking about? You know, books have been around since medieval times. Books aren't going anywhere. Steve, you hear that comment and you say, well, are people going to be reading less? And I say, no, they're actually going to be reading more. What, do you, well, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, fellas, I have 15 books on this device that I just downloaded, right? So if you're a bookstore, you're in the business of, of selling books, for example, in a physical location, that land shifted underneath you, right? And so now you have got to have an anticipatory plan because the pace of change in our current time, change has always been happening, right? If that weren't the case, we'd be swinging clubs and hanging out in caves. So change has always happened, but we're living in a time of such dynamic systemic change that is unprecedented in human history. You can, you know, took how long, think how long took brand Coke to become a brand. You can become a brand like almost overnight now. Yeah. 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 Very different. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets me to think, you know, here's where the friction lies for me in everything that you just said, which is these models of work that we've been using, that we've built are built for a slower pace of work for less change. Great and they're, and, and, and they're, they're built to realize stability, consistency, continuity. That's a good aspiration. But to your point, and I really believe this a lot, I think we need to prepare ourselves for instability. We need to build companies that expect it, that can react mm-hmm. to it. And that's why, and again, I, you know, I talk about Silicon Valley a lot. It's where I live. There's a lot of broken here. There's a lot of great stuff here. But a lot of tech companies thrive during the pandemic. Why? Are they smarter than the rest? No. They were built on cultures of change. They were built on growth and this craziness and this chaos. And when new chaos came in, it's like another day at the office, pandemic, schmandemic. You know, we know how to react to this. And, they, you know, they had a fluency with technology so that, you know, people working in different places wasn't as much of a radical shift. And so that, I think, is, you know, my message, which feels really unwelcome in some places, you know, industries that have been around a long time, insurance, banking, and so forth. It's like, no, that's not how we do it. You know, that, this whole, there's been a, a really interesting thread on Twitter and some other places around Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan. Okay. Jamie was one of the first people that came out and said, work from home. Uh, uh-uh. if you're not yes. hustling, you know, you're not in the, you know, you, you're in the office. And if you're not in the office, you're not hustling back here yesterday. He's like, well, maybe 60% hybrid. Maybe I'm good with it. People are like, whoa, <laughs> Jamie knows how to moonwalk. He just walked that right back. And yeah, we call so that conversion. Converted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, that was just a really interesting, like he's he's really well respected um, in the awesome. leadership circles that I spend time in. Just yeah. a really, really brilliant person. He is getting skewered a little bit on We Crash. I don't know if you're addicted to that series about the, the WeWork thing. He His character there is, is, is getting exposed a little bit. But that's so interesting to me that when I heard Jamie say, you're not working here unless you're in the office, I'm thinking, okay, he'll be able to hire people to do that. But yeah. he just shrunk his addressable market for talent because oh, yeah, not absolutely. everyone's going to want to do that. And, you know? and, and he opened the door to exits because right. and it doesn't mean that, that people don't respect him and love working mm-hmm. for the company. All of that can be true. Mm-hmm. And they can also exit at the same time. Because what you are unwilling is what we have to understand as employers. What you are unwilling to do in, in terms of flexibility in the workplace, your competition is absolutely willing to do. They're absolutely yeah. willing to do it because they're in they're in a battle for talent against you. So if you're sitting there saying, well, no, I, I my company culture is how late are the lights on in the office and uh, how many cars are in the parking lot before 830. 
<laughs> I work for those people. So that's your mindset, right? If that's your mindset, you can best believe that this workforce with a new generation coming in, accustomed to mobility, expecting mobility, is going to have no issue whatsoever with saying, I appreciated the time and I'm going to move on to someplace that's going to be a lot more you know, flexible. That's the landscape moving under Jamie's feet. And you can right. fight it. And, and there's usually an initial reaction of I'm going to fight it because I have 90% brand recognition and because I'm the celebrity CEO uh, or I'm universally regarded and respected. So all those things contribute to that. No, I'm going to fight this. And it doesn't mean you can't achieve those things. And there's another factor that was driven by the pandemic. Because you know what the workforce is saying? We wanted to be hybrid for a long time. But you, executive team, boards, you fought on this because you didn't trust me. You didn't think that I would actually be productive, mm -hmm. efficient, innovative, because I was working from home and I might be doing the laundry, you know, in between meetings. So you fought me on this. But the pandemic forced us all now into work from home. And you know, the workforce is saying, I have nothing more to prove to you. This doubt you had about whether or not I could deliver performance, I've answered that question. So mm -hmm. now getting on the other side of a pandemic, if you're gonna say five days in the office, no conversation about flexibility, you know, they're gonna have almost, not just the <laughs> exit conversation almost immediately, but that ambassadorship, that's, right. they wouldn't even be willing to have a conversation with me. And there's a lot of loss that happens as a result. Now, to Jamie's credit, you know, he pivoted pretty quickly. And I suspect that part of the epiphany was he probably had a, a CHROs saying, <laughs> you know, our turnover numbers here, are, um, especially after you said that, Jamie. <laughs> Well, yeah, I can, I can, I can chime into this from an actual real world experience. So, Steve, you probably are unaware, but I'm actually relocating my family to Lisbon, Portugal, here uh, in about 40 days, and we'll uh, be working. We'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're ever over there, I'm more than more than happy to sit down and share a coffee well, with you. But well, well, Steve and I are on our way now that we know this. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. No, he he is coming. He's coming this summer. So. Um, yeah. So, so in that, I had yeah. to do some changing around with my bank stuff and my business sure. bank stuff is with Chase. Went to a local branch. We changed the name of the business, the banking business. And so it went in and they were like, well, you have four, I got a letter. It says you have 14 days because the IRS, they haven't verified their paperwork on their end. Shocker, they're way behind. And you have mm -hmm. 14 days to get back or, or you, we're going to freeze your account. I'm like, well. That's not going to happen. Like, we're not going to do that. So mm -hmm. I go into the bank because I call, 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 email, email, email. Nobody gets back to me. I go in. Lady finally meets with me and she's like, yeah, well, we can set you a date on this day, which is six days past the day that I have to have it done with them. So I'm like, I I'm, I'm not understanding. Like, the, I hand her the paper that they sent to me. and She's like, well, this is the best I can do. Yeah. I was like, well, no, this, this is not the best you can do. Like, this is like, this is going to have to be fixed and, and we fixed it and we resolved it. But this, this adaptation of change, I want to actually bring up a really interesting find that Steve and I have found in this. And there's a really, really cool, innovative company. When they go public, they'll probably be one of the biggest IPOs ever. Um, they're making offers that go a little something like this. They're going to say, hey, Steve and Steve, we, we like both of you. We'd like to hire both of you. We're going to give you two offers. Here's one offer. You can be a full-time employee. Here's your benefits package. We're going to pay you two hundred grand a year. We're going to give you $200,000 in stock. Or I know you mentioned you like to travel on your interview. We're going to give you the opportunity to be a contractor. You're essentially still going to function as a full-time employee, but you're going to have freedom to work wherever you want to work be wherever you want to be. And instead of paying you 200, we're going to pay you 250. You take care of your own benefits mm -hmm. and we're going to give you 250 in stock. And that's like shit sent shockwaves throughout a lot of these companies that are now saying, no, no, it's, it's in the office. This is where it is. And this company here is r massively growing exponentially poaching Silicon Valley for talent. They're, they're located abroad. But, and they now are, and, and it's a wild thing. So now they're hot. They've, they're really smart. They've started to hire middle America. So middle America still hasn't caught up with 
you know, the coasts and the Silicon yeah. Valley of all those things. So now what's happened? I live here in Kentucky. You've got people here in Kentucky who would do the same job locally for $80,000 who are now doing it for 300 and they get to work from wherever they want to work and right. they get to do these things. It's a win-win. Now the local companies are like, well, what do we do? Well, you start paying comparable wages to your people. Otherwise you're going to struggle. So it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to convey to leaders and employers that the last time we saw this kind of seismic shift in the way that people work, you'd have to go back to the 1920s and the creation of the 40 hour work week. I mean, that's what's happening. So when I said earlier that there's going to be halo effects of the pandemic when we're all you know, retired and, and hanging out with our feet in the water in Lisbon um, at your place, Shane. Come on, uh, come on. You know, we're going to look back and say, okay, so when did this change? You know, when did this way of working work from anywhere at any time? When did that change? And we're going to point back to this period of time right now. I mean, one of the hardest things to do is to assess history as it is happening. But this is clearly what is happening. And if you go back to the 40-hour work week, yes, there's all these back and forth. Same questions, productivity, efficiency, all those things. What's happening? The economy's grown. GDP has grown. But there's always that initial reaction of, no, it can't quite possibly work that way. It, you know, in our world, we're seeing this ability to still create company cultures, even though you have contractors, even though you have those kind of hybrid working relationships. You can still drive performance. You can still drive culture. You, you can be prescriptive. You have to create offices as destinations, leverage the culture of the strength of the people. But the challenges are going to be most for the folks who are going to fight it. Uh, really, you know, sports analogy, Duke for years. My son plays college basketball in the ACC. I'm not a Duke fan, but I'm aware of the story. Uh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski refusing to recruit one and dones just refused. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But he kept meeting them on the basketball court and they kept beating them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Michael Jackson would have been envious of that moonwalk because he walked that back <laughs> like Amy did too. You know, walks it back yep. pretty quickly. But why? Mm -hmm. Well, because you have a position in the marketplace that is no longer sustainable. And it could be nostalgia that's driving you. It could be antiquated notions of loyalty and performance, whatever it is. But when you're in the marketplace of competition and of ideas, you're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to, because especially now when you have employees who are going to, they're going to make the decision for you and you're going to be looking at your HR report and seeing, well, our, our turnover is 10% higher than industry standard. Well, why is that? Because I'm reading engagement surveys. People are highly mm -hmm. engaged. They love this place. These two aren't matching. Well, that's why it's not matching, right? Because you're not willing to reassess how you're determining performance. Yeah. I love that example. And I, I use it too, Steve. Uh, I was in Nashville last week. And so I feel comfortable talking about basketball in the South. And I said, look, what did Coach K do when he got it? He sold that you'll have a better future elsewhere if you come here. He sold... Mm -hmm that even if you don't make the NBA, we got you. We got you scouting job, assistant coaching job, doing clinics and analyst. You know, we'll help you because this family, this alumni is more powerful than any other place you can go. And also, and this is the part the executives don't like to hear, what do you think Coach K doing, was doing all the time? Recruiting, recruiting all the time. It's not a come here. And also, and this is a really powerful thing, and it doesn't work in some businesses, but many it increasingly will, which is, I have had to move as a coach in D in D one top tier D one from building a team over four years to I got every six months I got to build a championship culture and team with a new recipe and new ingredients every year. Now that's really exciting, but it's really taxing and exhausting. And now because of and Shane and I have talked about this in other episodes, now the transfer portal and an extra year of eligibility. You throw that into the mix. I'm not looking to recruit freshmen from high school. I'm looking to recruit every player in every university in the country. And that's why I'm a huge Texas Tech yeah. fan. And I went to a whole bunch of March Madness games. Like they can draw in 
Would you rather have an 18-year-old unproven high school phenom or a 23-year-old proven, you know, mature man who's ready to, you know, deliver and commit to defense who, and I have four years of data on how they play. Of course, it's going to take the older player. So interesting, right? I was having that conversation with my son literally yesterday. Uh, so one son plays college basketball, division one college basketball. The other one plays division one college football. Big wow. dudes, big attitudes, high school stars. My younger boy is one of the top 50 players in the, in the country. Uh, player of the year in Illinois, all that stuff, right? And I'm awesome. telling him, like, son, you get to the next level, man. Everybody's your size. Uh, you know, everybody's your size, right? It's a business, my man. It's a business. Your mm -hmm. academic life matters. Have options. Create options. And, of course, you know, because I'm dad and I don't know a whole lot. Um, <laughs> you know, he's kind of like, right? he's hearing it, but he's not feeling it. So he, he pings me yesterday and he says, dad, six guys got let go. Now, remember, they were recruited on scholarship. Dad, six guys got let go. And what happened? And two of them at his position. Well, what he had done, he had come in and he had outplayed those older players. And, but he got to see, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is how it is. And, and, and he said this one, I mean, it like even reading the text, it stopped, it shocked me. A coach, a coach comes up to the player and says, um, young man, do, do, do you like playing football? Yeah, coach. Yeah. Do you want to keep playing football? Yeah. Yeah, coach. Yeah. Well, I suggest you answer, enter the transfer portal. Like, you know, right. And if you think about now in that, we're, we're the employers that we're the ones in that position now that at any point an employee will come up to you and say, uh, love the company, love you as a leader. It's no longer working for me and I'm going to move on. And it's a regrettable loss. That shouldn't happen. It's a regrettable mm -hmm. loss. Now, you know, change to your earlier example, hey, you, I'm going to have to break my pay scale. I've had those conversations too wish you the best. We had a great relationship. Stay in contact wherever I can help your career. I'm not talking about those. I'm, I'm talking about the ones you go, I'm losing this person because I didn't want to really invest in a hybrid way of working. I didn't want to invest in recognition. I didn't want to invest in a different way of people executing and delivering. And now I'm watching regrettable departures here that I know I could have avoided. That's the norm now. I mean, that's what's driving a lot of the great resignation. Compensation, we should all understand this. Compensation is not what's driving the great resignation, the great talent swap. That's not it. That's not what's driving it. We've, by and large, answered not perfectly, but by and large, as employers, we knew we have to pay hourly workers more. A lot of employers have done that, and they're still seeing turnover, still shutting down locations. So what is that really about? Right. It's about people not feeling valued, appreciated, and you not meeting them where they are and you trying to force them into this version of work that you had when you came into the workforce in 1995. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we mm -hmm. we actually just I, I shared a, a it popped up in my feed. Um, you know, most people out there, I think, from a fast food standpoint are fans of Chick-fil-A. Got a great chicken biscuit. Phenomenal, right? Steve's not Steve's not as big a fan as I am, but in the South, they're great, right? We'll get them there. We'll get them there. Yeah. So all the, all of a sudden, this ad pops up, and it's this lady not in a Chick Fil A uniform talking about her job and what she does now, and she talks about how she started at Chick Fil A and how it went through, and it's a whole Facebook ad that they're running, you know, trying to you know, attract employees, yeah. and it goes through, and essentially it says, "Come here." And we'll help you become a better version of yourself, right? And I told Steve, I said, you go to any Chick-fil-A in the South right now. You could somebody zoom it in and there will be a line around the building twofold. There's always people there. And mm -hmm. they they get it. They clearly get it. They they absolutely get it. And then to your other point of talking about what are we gonna do and the challenges and the things we said we've never do, Steve talks about it a lot, about saying, nope. Everything's on the table. I want all my senior leadership before we have this meeting, one-to-one, -one, don't collaborate, make a list of the five, six things from a recruiting standpoint or talent retention standpoint we said we would never do over the last three or four years. <laughs> Bring them to the table because now everything's on the table. I'm will We're willing to look at all options. 
Mm-hmm. And we can recalibrate. I mean, that's another thing to point out. You know, there, there, you know, in all of Shakespeare's plays, he had a point of no return. Once this event happened, you can't go back. We're not talking about that. I mean, yeah. we can we can pilot things and say, you know what, that way of working for that particular function is not sustainable, and we're going to have to revisit it. I, to the degree that employers need a period of time to test, that's what they should do. And just communicate that to your employees at the very outset. We certainly yeah. did that. I mean, as we developed and designed our hybrid ways of working, exactly what we said. And, yeah. and we will recalibrate, we'll shift. And you know what our, our employees' reaction was? Fantastic. That's great. So it was, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out together. And people mm-hmm. have a lot more patience than you would think that they would when they know that you're not throwing down policies, working policies from the mothership, and you're sitting with them at lunch side by side <laughs> and saying, help us design this together. Yeah, yeah. I uh, last uh, I told you I was in Nashville last week, and uh, we were on a college tour uh, with one of our kids. And two things happened. One is, this is probably the eighth college tour I've done. Every campus that has a Chick-fil-A on it is so proud about, hey, and all that's all that academic, yeah, yeah. But we've got a Chick Fil A on campus. It was a huge, yeah. it was a huge part of their selling point. And I was like, okay, I guess this is a thing. But the last uh, tour, we were at uh, Belmont University. Sure. And as a basketball fan, a lot of respect for the history of that program. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, they're probably one of the schools that Coach K lost to. Was like, man, I got to, <laughs> we got to change the, the plan here. But the uh, the student who gave us the tour said something at the end, which to me is the ultimate employee value proposition that every company should be saying they said why why i chose to come here because when i toured uh, they're a junior i think they said when i toured the school said come here and we will help you discover the best future version of yourself we will help build the best future version of yourself like that is the ultimate employee value proposition come here we will make you better you know however long that is and i i just it hit me like a bolt of lightning i'm like that's so mm-hmm. profound and there's a lot of people out there starting to uh, suggest that the future name of corporations is going to be business schools. Mm-hmm. Like the learning is going to happen there. And even yeah. we're seeing the uptick of high school recruits going right into organizations like Tesla and Google saying, we got you, you know, and, and Google was the ultimate holdout on pedigree matters, man. If you don't have blue blood, you know, uh, resume and, and the best, ex- you know, don't even think about applying here. Now they're like, yeah, we've looked at all the data. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Building their own pipelines. I mean, that's born mm-hmm. of some self-interest too. Right. Uh, they were doing this in Canada some years ago where their education system was not producing the candidates they were looking for. So a few, especially in the banking system, said, we're going to form a consortium and we're going to go direct. I mean, they partnered with some school systems, by and large, they created, you know, those models, just putting, you know, pressure not just on employers, but places that train employees to shift their models, you know, as, as well, because yeah. you, you're trying to get early, right? It, it is it is supply and demand. If I can get to you earlier, when I know demand is really, really high, then I want to stand a better chance of, of, of landing you. It's just a very different Everything, everything's not just on the table, but it's also changing. Mm-hmm. And the, the pause about them is not born in any kind of reality. Uh, it's just born of that fear of uncertainty, but you always have the opportunity to recalibrate. You know, you, you shift game plans. I, I don't know mm-hmm. of any product that launches that doesn't have tweaks, revisions. So why wouldn't that, why would people practices be any different? Right. Right. And, and if you look at every unicorn today, 90% of them are not in the business they set out to be in. And right. they learned and they iterated and they, and they tuned. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful point. And I think it's a really good one to, to end on, which is, you know, the power of adaptability. There, that's one of those words that's getting a little bit overused, kind of like, you know, disruption or, you know, uh, was recently. But I do think that's, that's very powerful because we, we've built for, um, stability and not changing. And we've built cultures using words like foundation and pillars, which don't connote, you know, this notion of it being organic and being able to change. And I think it's a great time for us to create a new language around this, you know? And, uh, well, Steve, thanks for being on the show, man. It really is great. Yeah. And I want to talk to you. I want to find out more about your kids and, 
and uh, have well, a, have well, a, that's, a that's, great... that's what I was going to say, Steve. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to actually toss you a couple questions here so the, yeah. the listeners can learn a little bit more about you. And then, Steve, if you have a question there at the end. So, yeah. uh, one, you've mentioned a lot of sports, Steve. Um, who, who's, who's your teams you root for? Who, who, are, who are you a fan of? Uh, I was born and raised in Massachusetts, and uh, it is on everybody's birth certificate if you're born in Massachusetts, that you cannot root for any other team other than Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox. So, and I went to Boston College. My son was basketball at Boston College, so that's the deal. And I should also point out that my daughter made the critical mistake of bringing a Yankee hat into my home. And so I said to her, sweetheart, now looky here, one of these has to go. You decide which one it is. But, uh, uh, but the Yankee hat is not staying, so you figure it out. <laughs> well, well, I, well, I'm glad I asked the question at the end of the interview because we may not have made it even uh, made it even through. Because I'm a Colts fan, so uh, we, we 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 wouldn't even we wouldn't even have had this conversation if I no, asked we you before. <laughs> you have no love for us. Absolutely. Although, although Shane Matt Ryan is a BC grad. Well, he is. Oh, I and, didn't know that. And, and, and quietly, quietly. We're building a really, really solid team around what we had last year. We took out some yeah. pieces that didn't work, and um, yeah, we're, we're we're just added Stefan Gilmore. So yeah, we, Gilmore's uh, a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're in. yeah, but all things come back to Boston. See, ah, Stefan go. Gilmore played for the Patriots. Matt Ryan went to Boston College. Matt Ryan's a great guy, by the way. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, mm-hmm. I've connected with you on LinkedIn. So when I'm in Portugal, um, and when 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 the final score and we beat you guys and you see the the beach in the background you see the beach in the background I'll send you a picture and just ask how your day's going I'll just check in see how your day's going you know check no, I check think, I, I think we got to up the ante I think we got to put some shekels on the line here for that Hey listen we can talk in person I'm going to be at this big time conference you guys are putting on here in a couple of weeks uh work human live down in Atlanta so I'm gonna, I'm going to be there for a couple of days uh, so we'll we'll be there, and I'm meeting with a couple members of your team. So uh, it's there. My yeah, next whatever question: Whatever bet we make before whatever bet we make, a trip to Lisbon is going to be on the line. That's what oh we're yeah, talking. oh yeah, easy, mm-hmm. easy, right, easy. I got right. I got a, I got a really nice restaurant over there. It's a Michelin star restaurant. One of us will buy when we're there. It's <laughs> it's, it's probably hey, it's probably not going to be me, uh, but you know it's okay. That's all right. That's all right. So my so my second my second question: Steve and I are big fans of Ted Lasso. And I got to know, have you seen it? Is it on your radar to see? And what are your thoughts if you have? Man, I have not seen one single episode of Ted Lasso. I have not. I have not. Although I hear all about it. But this is the mm-hmm. same guy, by the way, who did not. And this is, uh, I've, I've written a couple of books, so I get in these writing modes and I'm not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just watched all the Harry Potter movies uh, in December. I was the guy who um, uh, saw Breaking Bad after it ended. I mean, I'm that guy. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's fair. So, uh, but I've heard all about Ted Lasso. I do have a long flight coming up, so I'm gonna. That, that's a good recommendation. That and uh, We Crash, right, Steve? You mentioned We Crash. We Crash, so good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah my wife and I really We Crash and uh, do some watching. Well, one's yeah. a bit emotional uplifting and the other one is emotional downfall here so yeah it's, a, it's a, it'll be a roller coaster of a flight for sure steve do you have any questions for him i don't i just want to steve give you a platform to talk about what's happening in atlanta because i'm joining i'm super excited uh oh, this yeah. is really a rare you know platform you guys put together some amazing people so maybe just put a plug in for that and then we'll we'll wrap it up yeah, so every every year, I mean, this is actually our first time gathering since the pandemic. Uh, we have uh, Work Human Live. You know, we were actually global force when I first joined, uh, but but that put on this conference that was called Work Human, where uh, we've gathered HR leaders from all across the globe, uh, and it's become so popular, so successful that we've named the company Work Human, and now the conference is Work Human Live, where we have presenters like yourself, uh, Steve. We have Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Simone uh, Parker, uh, Priya Parker uh, as, as well. A lot of wonderful breakouts I'm presenting there uh, as well. What I really like about it uh, is how you're just, it's a bit beyond the 101. So you're, you're spending time going to some really provocative sessions, smaller, more intimate than the, some of the bigger uh, main stage, May 16th through the 19th in Atlanta, workhumanlive.com. 
uh, come join us. You, we'd love to have you. You see me, you see Shane, see Steve, you know, come say hello. We promise you a wonderful, wonderful time in a beautifully historic city uh, that is Atlanta. We have a few surprises in store for you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're a little privy. Yeah. So you're, I will say, and, and I want to, I want on record to say this, um, you know, it's one thing for listeners to hear someone talk about how they lead and how they see things. Um, Steve and I, and I'll speak for Steve on this, we absolutely can attest. I've had numerous, numerous, numerous interactions with multiple, multiple members of your team and the work human team on building all of this. And your culture not only is what you talk about here in this interview, it is very much our experience. We work with a lot of people around the world. And, and to be fair, a lot of them we don't really want to work with a second time around or do multiple things with because maybe things don't align or things just aren't fun. And we like doing fun, impactful work. And that has been our experience in working with Work Human and the absolute amazing team that you guys have over there that are, they're rock stars. And I tell them that all the time. I was like, you guys are rock. They, they had somebody new. Mm-hmm. Come on. And they were like, oh, we just got hired. I'm like, well, look, you're in good hands. You are around an absolute group of rock stars. Like you will be a okay. Whatever you're nervous about, don't even sweat it because they've got your back. And, and I just, I just want to commend you and your team on what you guys do over there. And it makes our experience and and our collaboration with, with you guys uh, seamless really does. Greatly appreciate it. And I will share that, that recognition with them. They really are. And I say that to people who are, are interviewing, it's just a great group of people to be around. Like there's some people you work with and then some people you hang out with and sometimes those aren't the same people, but the people Mm -hmm. that work together, work human, we just enjoy each other's company uh, and largely because we're just trying to do what I think we're all trying to do, which is just bring some good to the world at a time that is so desperately needed. Awesome. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Steve Pemberton, thank you so much for joining uh, the work week after hours. Uh, I'm Steve Cadigan with Shane Howard. And just want to thank you for listening. Please um, rate the episode, uh, share it with your friends, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Cheers.